Good evening, Raleigh. Welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Monday, March 19th, and as you may have noticed, we've been gone for a couple of weeks. Our regular schedule was mixed around due to spring break and NC State baseball, which is currently in full swing, if you'll pardon the expression. You can catch their next game starting tomorrow at 6, right here on KNC, so be sure to listen in for that. I'm Nick Savage. And I'm Jake Langlois. We thank you for tuning in. Tonight, we bring you the stories of students that decided their spring break would be best spent helping those less fortunate. From Chicago to Guatemala, some of our very own contributors were there, helping those in need and documenting everything along the way. In addition, we asked some students what they did over their spring break, we went in search of what it takes to brew your own beer, and Mark Herring chronicles this year's Holi, the Hindu Festival of Color. In, adi- in addition, Jake returns with what he believes may be the worst movie in existence. Dave returns with another installment of Poets Corner, and DeAndre Jones has some thoughts on military spend- spending. But first, we turn to Katie Costa for the weather. How's it looking, Katie? Well, Nick, today we saw some stormy weather earlier in the day, but after clearing out, it turned out to be an overall beautiful sunny day in the upper 70s. Tonight, we will cool down into the upper 50s with partly cloudy skies. Now, tomorrow, we will wake up with foggy conditions, so be sure to be careful commuting to work or school tomorrow morning. Otherwise, we will see a high of 80 degrees and partly sunny skies with a slight chance of some afternoon pop-up storms. Tomorrow evening, we do have a chance of scattered showers and thunderstorms as well with a low of around 60 degrees. Now, Thursday, we will see partly sunny skies once again with highs in the upper 70s and a chance of thunderstorms in the afternoon. Chances for thunderstorms and showers will continue into Thursday evening with the lows in the upper 50s. Now, Friday looks like the best day of the week to get outside since you'll be seeing mostly sunny skies and a high of around 81 degrees. We will continue to stay dry and warm Friday night with lows around 60 and mostly cloudy skies. Now, our chances for showers and thunderstorms will return to the triangle once again this weekend with highs in the 70s and lows in the 50s. So, overall, spring-like temperatures are here, but we do have a chance for some stormy weather this week, so be sure to be on the lookout for any severe weather alerts. Well, Nick, I don't know about you, but I am so happy that warmer weather is finally here, and it looks like it will be sticking around for a while. I just wish the rain would stay away, too. Yeah, I I know. Same here. I wish it would just be (laughs) stable for once. Well, next we turn to DeAndre Jones for the latest in international news. Thanks, Nick. First, French French President Nicolas Sarkozy on Monday night reinforced that the southwestern region of Toulouse will will be on the highest possible security alert level hours after a teacher and three children were gunned down at a Jewish school there. The incident at the Ozar Hatara school marked the third time in the past 10 days that a gunman on a motorcycle has fired on minorities in in the southwest of France. On Monday, the teacher was shot dead with his two children while the school's director saw his daughter shot and killed in front of him, Sarkozy said in a somber speech at the school. The president then returned to Paris and addressed the violence again in an evening speech from the LSE Palace. Next, intense fighting between Syrian rebels and the government forces erupted Monday in the, in the Damascus neighborhood of Almazay, the site of embassies, security buildings, and the homes of some members of the president's inner circle. At least 18 members of the security forces were injured, according to the opposition Syrian Observatory for Human Rights. The clashes were the fiercest so far in the Syrian capital and the closest to its security centers since the start of the Syrian uprising last year. A spokesman for the Free Syrian Army confirmed the rebels' involvement in the clashes. The Syrian government has not released an official statement yet. Finally, a luxury cruise ship collided in deep fog with a container ship off of Vietnam, punching a hole in the container ship and knocking passengers off their feet. The foghorn at the back of the ship had been going off consistently throughout the morning, passenger, passenger Andrew Locke said Monday from Hong Kong about the incident, which occurred Friday morning with the silver shadow about when the silver, when the silver shadow was about five miles from the coast. Quote, but there was a certain point in time when the foghorn at the front of the ship suddenly sounded, and it was much louder, and it, and it caused us to look up. And in fact, we looked straight up out of the window and through the fog to our horror, we saw this Vietnamese container ship appear sideways on. 
It was, it was as if our ship was perfectly lined up to hit the side, unquote. That's all we've got going internationally today. Thanks, DeAndre. For some, spring break is a time to relax, party, or have fun. For others, it's a time to work hard and make a little extra money. And for some, it's just extra study time. No matter what you did over your spring break, here's how some of our fellow students spent theirs. We're on spring break, spring breaking it down. Sipping on some muscle milk and heading to a beach town. Class is back in session and a lot of us are still really tired from what we did over spring break. So what are you guys doing for spring break? I'm going to New York City with a campus ministry. Going to California. I'm visiting my family. I'm going to Panama City Beach, Florida with Campus Crusade for Christ. Woo woo! I'm going home to New York for spring break near Syracuse University. Some of us did some fun things, some of us not so fun. What are you doing for spring break? Job hunting for this summer. (laughs) (laughs) Going home right outside of Greensboro. Some people I couldn't help but be jealous of. Going to Breathe Concert Friday, going to Florida to visit our friend until Thursday, then going to Virginia to ski, and then a Casting Crowns concert and then coming back. What happened last night? Did I wax my chest? And others I couldn't help but pity. I'm going home. Where's home? Chapel Hill. Oh. <laughs> you like it up there? Mm-hmm. It's a cute town. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Brian the Triangle, I'm Grant Buffner, 88.1 WKNC. Two of our contributors spent their spring breaks doing something a little different than most college students. And although their missions took them to completely different parts of the world, their missions were very similar, helping those who can't help themselves. For his spring break, Mark Herring found himself in Guatemala doing his part to make the world a better place. This is his story. Working with a group of students can be a challenge. I experience this on a daily basis as the features editor of the NC State student newspaper, The Technician. However, working with a group of students in a foreign country is a completely different challenge. Last week, I led a service learning trip to Guatemala with 21 other students to work with a medical clinic in the rural town of El Ramate. This village of about 500 families, nestled on the banks of Lake Petanitsa, has only one doctor, and the closest hospital is an hour away. Before I talk about the personal challenge of directing 21 college students in a foreign country, I'd like to talk about the background of the trip. I served on this trip before, two years ago. But this time, I was responsible for planning and executing the trip and bringing back safely all my team members with a fulfilling experience. As a junior in college, I'm proficient in Spanish, and I have some basic knowledge of human physiology and healthcare. So I applied to take on the responsibilities as a team leader. With my past experience as a team member, I felt confident about leading and making the most of my trip in Guatemala while serving our partner clinic, called Project Ishkanan. The trip, an alternative service break through the university, which we call ASB, bases itself on the foundation of sustainable service and forming relationships with the organizations with whom we work. In my case, I worked with Dr. Enrique Chapeton and clinic coordinator Anne Lossing. These two spearheaded the founding of Project Ishkanan more than 15 years ago and have established an impressive rapport with the community. My team worked with Ishkinan, organizing special infant and diabetes clinics, T 
teaching middle school lessons on first aid and laying cement in four houses that previously only had dirt floors. We did some touristy things, but we also toured two hospitals in the region. I want to make this clear. Our trip is not a mission trip. I'm Jewish, and my co-team leader is Hindu. Nor is ASB a trip about helping. Reflecting on our projects, my team of 22 students in total will have very little impact on the community we served. People will continue to get sick. Infants will die from some preventable diseases. The four cement floors we paved is just a whiz in the ocean. So why even bother to go? I've wrestled with this question quite a bit, but I still see the value in the service. Let me make a distinction between helping and serving. Helping implies an inequality between people and generally a sense of debt. Service, on the other hand, is about forming relationships in which both the server and the one being served grow, share, and benefit. Cutting the crap and sorry about my kumbaya moment, this is still an important issue in the mission, non-religious I must reiterate, of ASB. Here's an example. I met Tim Spurrier, the founder of one of the four hospitals in the rural state of Paten, Guatemala. Tim, a Christian missionary, started Shalom Hospital six years ago and has built it into one of the most advanced hospitals in the region. However, while touring the hospital, only one bed was full. It was a mix of this fact and the very strong Jesus undertones that made me uncomfortable. As Tim, a well-intentioned and very clever man, talked about the superior services of Shalom compared to the National Hospital just down the road, I became uneasy. Despite the incredible services Shalom offers, I felt disappointed. Right down the road, in the National Hospital funded by tax revenue, wards were full. Saints littered the floor, and the odor of urine didn't help the dark ambiance of the hospital. But there was an attitude of making do, of getting by, and persisting despite the lack of resources. I can only imagine the frustration these doctors face when they can't practice medicine to their full desires due to these limitations or because of the overwhelmingness of the medical needs. Yet doctors got by and offered a service affordable to their people. Spending 10 Guatemalan quetzales, equivalent to a buck fifty American, is tough for a family to catch a bus to the National Hospital. On the other hand, Shalom charged 300 quetzales a night. That's a deal in the United States, but it only caters to a slim minority in Guatemala. But despite the harsh realities of medicine in Guatemala, the doctors at the National Hospital trudged on, and with a smile from my observations. This is the Guatemala I've come to love, and the one I admire. But I wish my team understood this too. We reflected every night to discuss our experiences and refined our understanding of our trip. As a service learning trip, my goals as team leader wasn't to exactly save the community of El Ramate. First of all, that's completely silly and absolutely irrational. My goal was to provoke my teammates to think about their experiences, to hopefully trigger a cascade of thoughts that would ultimately change their lives and perceptions of our privilege. I don't mean this selfishly, but this trip was more about us. During our trip, we interviewed families on their health needs and services they would like to see the clinic offer. At the end of each interview, I would ask them to list the top three problems afflicting their lives, be it financial issues, family stuff, or health care. 
In the end, all families responded, we have no problems. It took me a while to digest this. It would be naive to say they're just doing fine. The thing is, life is such a struggle in El Ramate, Guatemala, you can't quantify your problems when you have to walk five miles to work in a cornfield or carry water on your head for a mile to make sure your kids can drink. I'm not saying this to belittle the people I served last week. With all my admiration and respect, the people of El Ramate I got to know have a persistence for life that I have not seen elsewhere. For that, I think they are great people, but I would refrain from saying they've got it made. This trip has reassured my vocation to go into healthcare, and I think it did that for many on my trip. But I'm not sure if we all picked up on the subtleties of the trip. As we made it back to the U.S., I overheard someone mention they had made it back to civilization. Half of us spent our overnight layover in Newark sleeping in the airport, and the other half in a ritzy hotel. Once we got the opportunity to get back to American commercialism, Starbucks and McDonald's became beacons of hope for some on the team. For that, I'm a bit disappointed as a team leader that we didn't all get the true point of the trip. But overall, I've returned from Guatemala moved. I know the services I offered to Project Ishkanan were marginal, and in the long run, I think many of my teammates understood that too. So what's the point? I hope that in five years from now, my teammates and I aren't talking about the work we did that one spring break in Guatemala. Rather, I hope a seed was planted that will make us want to serve, learn, and empathize more. In the end, the trip was about us, but I will have El Ramate and Project Ishkanan in my thoughts for a while. I think something just germinated. From I on the Triangle, I am Mark Herring. Half a continent away, Grant Buckner spent his break in some of the poorest areas of Chicago, Illinois, sharing his faith and a helping hand with those in need. I fell in love again. All things go, all things go. Drove to Chicago. All things know. Over spring break, I went on an urban immersion trip with the campus ministry crew to inner city Chicago. While we were there, myself and 29 of my new best friends worked with kids in after-school programs, talked to students at the University of Illinois at Chicago, did neighborhood outreach, and served the homeless. Working with the people in a city that is very different from Raleigh affected us all in a different way. Joining NC State on the trip were schools like Virginia Tech, East Tennessee State University, and Florida State University. Here's what some of the students had to say about how the trip affected them personally. Uh, so say your name and what school you're from. Samuel Howell, East Tennessee State University. So how did the working with the homeless affect you? Um, God has definitely worked in my lives. I really enjoyed the Pacific Garden Ministry and what they're doing for the city of Chicago. You can definitely see a change in the men's lives who are participating in this program. Um, I'm Justin from Florida State. Well, I was talking to a couple of the kids from uh, the after-school program I was uh, working. And, well, I was talking to them, and they uh, they opened up about how uh, they used to live on the north side of Chicago. And it used to be pretty cool up there. And then they moved um, to the east side, and they said throughout the years it started getting um, more and more dangerous. And for the kids to kind of notice that, like at their age, they were 8th and 6th grader. It was uh, pretty terrifying because when I was in their position, I didn't think about that stuff. Colin Phibbs, NC State. So how is Chicago different from Raleigh? There were 
boards on all the windows in the neighborhoods we were staying in uh, on the first level um, for safety. Um, you know, barred windows, uh, gates, uh, razor wire, different stuff like that that would help keep people safer. Whereas in Raleigh, we don't really think about that. We, you know, we might lock our doors at nights, but you know, we're not worried about boarding up our houses or anything like that. How did you change your perception of where you live? Made me appreciate it a whole lot better, especially like the neighborhood I grew up in. You know, it was it was a safe environment, unlike here where you walk outside and we were worried for you know our own sake we saw some sketchy activity going on you know we turned around and stayed somewhere else and in my house i really didn't have to do that i you know just went home i'm dan from florida state um the one thing i noticed is just when sharing my faith and stuff the people of chicago have like not really been ex- uh, exposed to it as much they're very intellectual here and from what I saw, like, kind of closed off. And so what they really need is lots of love, compassion, and just, like, people to want to love on them and really just grow a relationship with them and not be preached at, but pre- preached to, and to not just be helped, but to be served. Um, it's one of the things I definitely learned. Hey, this is Scott McWhorter from uh, NC State University, and uh, I was really kind of blown away with uh, kids that we went to um, help with their homework uh, and do crafts uh, with yesterday at our family center. Um, I talked to some like third and fourth grade boys. Uh, some kids started talking about how every day somebody else was getting killed on the news and how he w- he kind of liked it because it was exciting like an action movie. And that, that kind of broke my heart that um, that was just kind of everyday stuff for them. So that, that just kind of opened my eyes to see, you know, what, what kind of lives like these kids grow, grow up in. I'm just really kind of blown away and I, I wish I hope that I can uh, do something about it and I hope that we uh, made an elastic impact on them this week My name is Damon and I go to NC State I got to pass out bread to the community I got to talk to a woman named Caledonia and she was she wasn't really sure about her age uh, she just lived so long she one time she said she was <laughs> she, she said she was like 78 one time and then she's like oh wait I might be 84 <laughs> it, it was pretty funny but we had we just like got to go inside her house and just talk to her and like just like so happy to see us and she kept emphasizing how so many years ago she you wouldn't have seen any white people talking to black people at all so it was just like she was really encouraged and it was encouraging to us to have her encourage us about that. Katie Kaiser of NC State had this to say about a spiritual conversation she had with a woman of Muslim faith. It was just kind of nerve-wracking at first because and I didn't know how she would respond to what I had to say to her, but it was actually the most encouraging conversation all day because we talked for about an hour and a half about how Islam is different from Christianity, and it was amazing how we were able to have such a high level of respect for each other. She was just so nice and so positive. I gave her a hug when we were finished, and it was just really eye-opening to see how, um, even though neither of us got anywhere with each other, we walked away with a really great attitude. Mary Grace Knight of NC State had this to say about her conversation with a homeless woman at a Chicago mission. She kind of looked at me for a minute, um, and she's kind of giving me one-word answers when I was asking her where she was from. And all of a sudden, she just started spilling her um, her faith in Jesus Christ to me. Um, when she finally stopped, she was like, you know, when you first sat down, I had absolutely no idea how to talk to you. 
we don't look like we would have anything in common, but the Holy Spirit told me um, to share my faith with you. And when I saw you light up like that, I knew that is exactly what I needed to be talking to you about. Drew Johnson of NC State had this to say about his conversation with the homeless man at the same mission. And um, he just really um, broke down in front of me and started crying and shared just shared kind of his story with me and how he had lost faith. So I prayed with him and um, he recommitted himself to Jesus. He was just so thankful that I was there and um, kept telling me that God sent me there for a reason. And it was just really encouraging to me. Afterwards, I ended up giving him my Bible that I had gotten in um, sixth grade. And so it was really, really meaningful to me to be able to share that with him. I think I speak for everyone from River and Immersion when I say that that was the best spring break of my life. For I'm the Triangle, I'm Grant Buckner, 88.1 WKNC. We're going to take a quick break. Um, stick around and we'll have more in just a moment. So, Grant, you went to Chicago. I sure did. And so you guys focused on the low-income areas, I suppose, or the, or the areas where people aren't really quite as as fortunate. Yeah, um, I believe it was uh, East Chicago. Well, well, actually, a lot of people had come from East, but it was uh, definitely the low-income areas of Chicago that we had stayed in. Who did um, you go with? Like, what group were you with? What do you mean? Like, I assume you didn't go by yourself. Did you go with a, with a group? or? Was yeah, it- I went with uh, Campus Ministry, Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, but yeah, we stayed in a uh, low-income neighborhood with, I mean, there was boarded up windows, and um, there was a lot of sketchy activity going on, but we were there to love people, not judge them. So you guys didn't, I mean, you didn't stay in some, like, hotel, and you traveled to the low-income areas by day and just, like, stayed midtown by night. Not so much, no. Were- we actually stayed in a daycare. Um, at least the guys did. The girls got to stay in a pretty well-protected uh, community center for kids. But um, we actually had to stay there one night, too, because there was uh, activity going on outside of our daycare. Wow. Uh, okay. So, and Mark, you went to Guatemala. Yeah, I went to a small town in rural Guatemala in the state of Petén. It's called El Remote. That really means the the end. Um, it's kind of like in the middle of nowhere. Wow. Yeah. So, what was what basically what group did you go with, and what was the goal of that whole um, yeah, trip? Exactly. Um, so I was a co team leader uh, with uh, Alternative Service Break, and basically, Alternative Service Break is a project through CSLEPS, the Center of Student Leadership Ethics and Public Service, and um, I was selected to lead the trip and uh basically um since september i i was planning the trip and over spring break i led um along with a co-team leader of mine we led uh 15 other students um to guatemala so you were basically in charge you were you and this other guy were like you guys decided where you were going and who are you who you were going to help and uh yeah so we yeah we were definitely responsible um for uh, all the all the students traveling and uh, making sure everyone came back safely without malaria. But um, <laughs> the the clinic that we served, uh, Project Ishkanan, um, has has a really great relationship with uh, the Center of Student Leadership Ethics and Public Service, and so this was a renewal of that relationship. So this is the third time that a group of students from NC State's gone down there. So um, I was actually one of the first. I was on the first group of students to go down there two years ago, and I got the awesome opportunity to lead the trip this year. Wow, that's really cool. Did you, um, 
did you make any connections with any any locals? Did you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like um, more than just a working relationship. Yeah, um, I got a really close relationship just because uh, I speak Spanish, so I did a lot of translating, and so that helped uh, me get really close to a lot of the people wow. we were working with. That's pretty cool. Did yeah. you have that kind of experience like that? It was it was it was fantastic. And actually I was just at a dental clinic this weekend. I'm a pre dental student and it was a uh, in a rural part of North Carolina and we didn't have any uh Spanish translators with us so I <laughs> got taken off the off the cleaning squad and they're like, Mark, we need you to translate and oh. brought me back to Guatemala. Well there but, you go. That's <laughs> proof, proof that being bilingual helps you. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Grant? Did you connect with anyone in particular, like anyone from Chicago? Yeah, there was actually this really great conversation I had. We were on the University of Illinois at Chicago's campus, mm-hmm. and um, this girl named Paula um, was just like sitting on the couch, and uh, we asked if we could join her, and she started talking about like how she had been raised Catholic but hadn't really given it a second thought since coming to college, and she said that. Um, a lot of people come up to her because they actually have a large um, cult population on the campus. A large what? Cult. Cults. Like cults? Wow. Yes, like okay. cults. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. And that information surprised me. We were told when we got there that that was an issue. Um, so she was weary at first, but we had like a cool conversation and told her that Christians can be normal. And she believed us. So that was pretty awesome. That's, that's <laughs> a special situation there. Wow. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay, so you were in Chicago, and you were there in early March. What Was it cold? It was freezing, <laughs> yes. Um, sometimes literally. Uh, the wind chill was ridiculous, and it was very, very windy, but it's what it's called, so Does it, it make you? Shocking. Did it make you glad to live here? It made me extremely glad to live here, um, minus the weather today, because it was really rainy. But yeah. uh, it actually it didn't rain at all. It snowed once, hmm. but uh, it was pretty sunny for the most part. Okay, so you were in this big honking city with tons of wind and meanwhile mark was in the jungle in guatemala what was the weather like there was it really yeah it, it was the jungle um the the weather was really humid uh, i'd say in the 80s or so it rained um about three days for the the eight days we were down there um but yeah you, you got used to kind of being sweaty all the time and having like a a little i wouldn't say crust but like oil smeared all over your body yeah. but um no it it was great and yeah. the town of el remate it's it's called el remate because it's at the end of a lake mm-hmm. so not it's not like just the end of the world but the end of a little lake um and there was a great view and we definitely uh enjoyed swimming in the wonderful waters there but um the type of work we did was uh medical service and uh health education and so it was just a lot of fun getting to work with uh, the the clinic, getting to serve the people and getting to know kind of like what their problems were. Yeah. Um, would This is for both of you guys. Would you guys go back? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did. Oh, you, yeah, <laughs> this was my second time, but I would for sure go back again. I would absolutely go back. I mean, it was a great experience, and mm-hmm. I would like to experience it once more. And um, so I guess final question after – Spending time in obviously two very poor areas, I assume. Were you glad to come back, or were you, you know, kind of wanted to spend more time there? How'd you feel? In a way, I was I was ready to come back uh, to get back to school, and um, I know it was a sigh of relief not having to to guide and direct a bunch of college students <laughs> in a third world country. But um, in a way, I, I do miss it just because uh, 
I didn't have a cell phone. I mean, I didn't have <laughs> internet connection. It was just there was a great sort of thing going on where uh, I don't know the Guatemalan way. There's really no rush for things, but but people are very deliberate about the things they do. It's not like they're just chill and relax. I mean, mm-hmm. Life is life is tough. Has a purpose, yeah. But it's I don't know. It's good to be back by Miss it. What about you? I definitely had post-Chicago depression. I was upset to come back. Um, I definitely liked sleeping in my own bed again, mm-hmm. but just like being over there and doing something that wasn't for myself was a nice change of pace. Um, the guy who led our team, Mike, I was felt bad for him because he definitely had to corral us a lot, and I mean it was, it was a very stressful job. But at the same time, I wanted to stay because of just the great service opportunities that were presented to us. All right. Well, uh, Grant Buckner, Mark Herring, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks. It was really eye-opening. Speaking of Mark Herring, his uncanny ability to be anywhere anything interesting happens led him to Harris Field, the site of this year's Holi, or the Hindu Festival of Color. Harris Field turned into a festive Indian city as students sang along to popular Hindi songs and danced together last Friday afternoon. However, the most common element was the paint. The South Asian Student Associations, ETCA for undergraduates and Maitri for graduate students, hosted the Hindu Festival of Holi, a celebration of colors and the coming of spring. I looked for some insight on the religious background of this holiday, and I talked to Chandni Balodia and Nidhi Gandhi for some explanations. Holi is a festival of colors, and um, basically it's celebrating the um, return of Prahlad, and... Um, is that, uh, a deity? No. <laughs> it's complicated. I don't oh, know how to, like, yeah. describe it, but... <laughs> yeah, what's Holi all about? Spring colors. Yeah? Okay, so... This is just, I guess, a way of celebrating... Yeah, Prahlad. It's like this old age story. Yeah, it's like kind of like time story about like a king and a queen kind of thing, something like that. Now this confusion comes from the many interpretations of the story of Prahlad. The commemoration of Holi comes from the Vaishnavism sect story of a demon king who condemned his son Prahlad to death because of his faith for Vishnu. Prahlad's sister Holika conspired to kill him in a pyre. But the flames engulfed her, not Prolud. The festival of Holi came from this triumph of good over evil and the triumph of Prolud's faith for Vishnu. But today it is remembered widely as the arrival of spring. People who celebrate or play Holi have a tradition of throwing painted dye and water at each other. Last Friday was no exception on Harris Field. I talked to NT State senior in chemistry Tasha Mangaldas a native from the state of Gujarat in northwestern India, about the significance of Holi for her. Reminds me, this is the only thing that reminds me of back home when I come here, and it's one of the major things. This is one of my favorite, most favorite festivals that we celebrate, and it's a time for everyone to like kind of come together. How do they, how do they celebrate Holi in Gujarat? It, 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 in, in Gujarat, what it is, like you have your groups of friends who kind of meet up all at one place, and then they only have to, there are lots of tricks. It's not just playing. You kind of play pranks on your friends because you're, it's a time when the whole class gets together, meets up somewhere, and then you you always tell these couple of people the wrong time. So you're all there earlier, and then you like throw them in the pool, and it's always by a pool or something like that. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like Christmas in India, too. Like, everyone just celebrates it. Okay. So it's, don't quote me on that, but... Um, 
Yeah, there are lots of people. Like everyone, I think everyone likes it for a lot of lot more things than the religious aspect of it. Yeah, so, getting messy and childlike may be one of the non-religious reasons why people may be attracted to holy. It was a lot of fun, I have to admit, but it was a pretty ugly story after the shower. For my in the triangle, I am Mark Herring. So, Mark, there's something more to holy than what we just heard, I believe. Well, I don't think I really conveyed in the story that it's just absolute chaos and people are throwing <laughs> painted dye at each other. It and sure looked like it. The, the, uh, I saw the front of the technician today was the pictures of all those people who were all had this paint all over them. It looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're completely masked in it. And uh, I rode my bike to campus and I rode my bike back home after Holy and I got some really strange looks <laughs> coming back. I nice. saw the picture of you and you just looked blasted in the face like what just happened and you're covered in paint. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's it's very common uh, for people, random strangers, to go up each other and, like, rub uh, this uh, corn, this dyed cornstarch on each other and, you know, say, happy holy. And it, it's, <laughs> was it fun or was it just Yeah, it, it was fun. And it, it was, I don't know, it reminded me of being a, being a kid again, just having <laughs> having fun and not really caring about stuff and That's really getting cool. silly. Nice. Well... The United States has perhaps the biggest military budget of any developed nation in the world. It's often been called runaway, and only recently have politicians begun to speak of cutting the military spending. Here's DeAndre Jones with his thoughts on our country's military budget. The military strikes up many feelings in our country today. However, I think that most can agree that it is a necessary institution for keeping our country safe. Gratitude comes from my heart to any individual who spends their life protecting mine. But, as for anything in this world, one cannot simply take the armed forces for face value. One doesn't have to look far to realize that the United States is spending massive amounts of money on the military or military-associated costs, and the budget is steadily rising. With roughly $829 billion budgeted for the military last year, this sector of America is lauded more money than any other sector in the United States combined. About $550 billion of the money allocated to the military is used purely on the salaries of the Pentagon staff. China, who is considered to be one of this country's biggest threats, only spent $79 billion on the military last year, which is much less than the money that we use purely for paying officials. The rest of the money goes overseas to fund operations in the Middle East and all over the world. As the U.S. drafts plans to pull out of the Middle East and move more troops into the Pacific and African regions of the world, one question comes to mind. Why? Is it really necessary for the United States to have over 800 bases scattered throughout the globe? One cannot escape the thought that by having eyes all over the world, the U.S. tries to play the world police role. As active citizens in this country, it is our duty to evaluate our country's actions and how our government chooses to spend our tax dollars. For a bit of perspective, about $68.1 billion is budgeted for education in 2012. This is a reduction from the amount last year. Our own university, NC State, lost about $67 million in state money last year. Should our money be spent overseas as it is, or should we bring some of it home to help support our healthcare, infrastructure, and education budgets, just to name a few? I urge all listeners to educate yourselves on topics such as these and share your opinions, not only with us here at WKNC, but our state congressmen and women as well. These issues affect anyone who lives in the U.S., meaning that we all deserve a say. Above all, this segment was meant to provoke thought from our listeners, and if it did, please don't hesitate to let us know. Thank you, and for Iron the Triangle, this is DeAndre Jones. Could this be the worst movie in existence? 
Jake reviews a movie of epidemically bad proportions. Well, I think I've finally done it. I think I have finally scraped the bottom of the proverbial barrel, and I think I have found one of the worst movies ever made. One word. Birdemic. Forget everything I've ever said about bad movies. This film completely redefines what can be considered a movie. It was released by a studio. It's on Netflix. It's on Rotten Tomatoes. Technically, it's a movie. But I sincerely believe this is one of the most awful films ever created. Honestly, who thought this was a good idea? If you've heard of this movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Birdemic is a 2008 film directed by James Nguyen. It basically follows a young couple trying to survive in a world where global warming has caused birds to go insane and start killing people, dive bombing gas stations, and just causing havoc. Now, I'm no scientist and I'm no environmentalist, but I'm pretty sure that is not one of the signs of global warming. Trying to critique this film is almost pointless. There is just not enough time in the world to cover all that is wrong with this film. <sighs> but damn it, I'm going to try. The film had a budget of $10,000 that James Nguyen scraped together from his working wages. Now let me be clear, a film does not need an $80 million budget to be good. Paranormal Activity only had a budget of $15,000 and yet still managed to rake in $200 million at the box office. The reason Paranormal Activity worked where this film failed is because it did not require a team of computer animators, pyrotechnic experts, or animal trainers to make the film. Ghosts, demons, and otherworldly beings are invisible. The suspense comes from the timing and the writing, not the monsters themselves. Birdemic tries to be an action thriller, and on a budget of only $10,000, that's never going to work, no matter how hard you try. The acting in this movie is some of the worst I've seen anywhere, quite possibly even worse than Troll 2. The acting in Troll 2 was horrendous, make no mistake, but the actors at least managed to stay in character throughout the film. This is not the case in Birdemic. These are not actors. I do not know where the casting director found these people, but honestly, how hard is it to find actors in Southern California? So what are you going to do with your newfound wealth? Same going on break. Early retirement. No car? Well, with that new fashion model chick, you might want to impress her. With a Ferrari. Uh, I don't think she's materialistic. When are you going to grow up, man? Chicks love cars. If you want to get into their pants, you better have a nice, hot Ferrari. She's my hot Ferrari. Besides, I love my Mustang, which is a plug-in hybrid. It gets 100 MPG. Speaking of plug-ins, these things are everywhere. This is one of the most preachy, obnoxious films I've ever watched. If you want to watch a film that guilts you into saving the Earth... Just do yourself a favor and go watch Avatar. That's how bad this film is. Watching Avatar is preferable. I'm all for environmental responsibility. I think that's important. But I do not like to be preached at in my movies. And that is not all that sucks about the writing. The dialogue just goes on and on and on. About stock options and cars and who knows what else. And the entire time I watched it, I kept asking, what is this dude to advance the story in any way? Why do I care? Ladies and gentlemen... I have some great news. Our board of directors has agreed to the acquisition of MCT Software by Oracle Corporation for a billion dollars. Brilliant. 
guys have worked hard and you've all earned your stock option. Congratulations. And the clapping, my God, the clapping goes on for like five minutes. That, by the way, was straight from the film. The production value of this movie is deplorable. It's like the director went out and bought the first camera from Best Buy he could find. They'd obviously never heard of a boom mic or the proper way to capture sound for a film. It's all over the place. The editing is a mess. The writing sucks. The acting sucks. Sure, watching the JPEG birds dive bombing a static shot is funny, but overall, this movie is an infuriating testament to just how far we've come since the golden age of Hollywood. <sighs> I can't wait for the sequel. Prime the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois, 88.1 WKNC. Wow, Jake, you you sure tore that movie apart. <laughs> it was bad. All right. We just want to let our, our listeners know that this Wednesday, WKNC will present Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? at the Witherspoon Student Center at 9.30 p.m. This event is free, open to the public, and will help prepare everyone for the folkiness of the first installment of Fridays on the Lawn, which will take place on Friday, March 30th, on Harris Field. Now for the answer to our last show's riddle. The answers were the five vowels. A is set in glass, E is found in jet, the letter I you will see in tin, and O lies within the word boxed. In addition, the letter Y is found in the word U. This week's riddle is as follows. Those wooden birds are now in sight, whose voices roar, whose wings are white, whose maws are filled with hose and shoes, with wine, cloth, sugar, salt, and news. When they have eased their stomachs here, they cry farewell until next year's. Think big. If you know the answer, be sure to tell us on our Facebook page. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org, where you can also download our podcast. Well, that's all we have for now. But before we go, we wanted to let you know we are returning to our normal schedule next week on Tuesday at 7 p.m. We'll see you next week. Good night. <laughs>